If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me now to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter uh, 17 is where we'll be this morning. Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. Luke 17, 20 to 37. And due to the length of the passage, I'll be reading the, the passage within the sermon this morning. Luke seventeen twenty to 37. Let's pray one more time. Father, we ask that, you're, that you would take your word and that you would feed us with your word. Give us what we need to live, to grow, to endure life on this world. Give us what we need to be equipped to be your servants, to make disciples, to point others to Christ. Lord, use your word to show us truths about your kingdom that we may not be aware of, or perhaps we we might not even care. But Lord, help us to care because it is a kingdom that you promise. Not only to Israel, but a kingdom that you promise and give and offer to those who believe in your Son. And Lord, we pray that uh, once again that Christ would be proclaimed, that anyone who does not yet know Christ would come to faith in Jesus. And all who do know Christ already will grow to love you more and love, consequently, our neighbors more. Equip us with your word now. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a very interesting week uh, weather-wise across the Bay Area. Uh, you have probably noticed uh, the strange weather, at least uh, <laughs> all around us this past week due to the fires. Um, and if you that uh, earlier this week when the skies turned red, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was like a, it was almost like a solar eclipse, you know, when the skies, it was just dark. And I don't know about you, but perhaps you thought about Mars or maybe you were thinking of the beginnings of a nuclear winter had taken upon us. <laughs> but my mind was thinking of the return of Christ. And perhaps yours was too. It reminded me of Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 to 30. Uh, when uh, Jesus said these words about the days of the Son of Man. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. While Bible-believing saints differ on their view of eschatology on end-time events, SF Bible believes that the Scriptures teach a premillennial view of the return of Christ. Before the return of Christ to establish His kingdom, the church is going to be raptured, and then followed by a great seven-year tribulation upon the remaining inhabitants of the earth. And during that tribulation, the judgments promised in Revelations 4-18 to will be fulfilled. And what we read here in Matthew 24, 29, 30, describe what follows that tribulation. 
The skies will be darkened as the sun, moon, and stars will fail to no, will no longer shine. And then the Son of Man will appear in the sky. In the contrast to the darkness, the, the light of His glory will, will shine so brightly. But He will come bringing judgment upon all who reject Him and salvation for all who worship Him. And then He will establish the promised kingdom of God on earth and reign in Jerusalem as its king over the world for a thousand years, as taught in Revelation. See, the coming of the Son of Man to establish His kingdom, though it was promised in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, our call to worship this morning. This promise was the hope of every Israelite. God had promised the, the coming of a Davidic king who would establish an eternal kingdom of peace and righteousness. In a world that was full of chaos and full of injustice, the hope of the Messiah's coming was the greatest hope that the Israelites could have. And I know we live in a world that seems like it's increasingly full of chaos, increasingly full of injustice. In reality, it's always been full of it. But I, and it's as you and I become more aware of it, I hope that for the believers in Jesus Christ, it makes us long even more for the coming of this kingdom. But the Israelites had believed that the, this coming kingdom would be preceded by heavenly signs. And which we read even in, in, this, in this way. But they were so caught up with looking for the signs that they completely missed the obvious signs manifested in the very person of Jesus of Nazareth. Looking for signs of the kingdom, they entirely missed the king who was before their eyes. And too many people today continue to look for signs, continue to look for things in the skies, when the truths of Jesus Christ are plainly before them in the scriptures. And it would be a tragedy to be waiting or looking for, expecting signs of Christ and missing out on the Son that's right before us in the Scriptures. Missing out on the One through whom entrance into the Kingdom of God is only possible. This morning's passage helps us to understand the nature of the Kingdom of God so that we might rightly respond to it now, today. In the previous passage, we found Jesus on his final journey to Jerusalem before his death and resurrection. He had just healed ten leprous men, of which only one, a Samaritan, returned to give glory to God and acknowledge Jesus as God's Messiah. As we look at the passage this now before us, Jesus is teaching and he's instructing both the Pharisees as well as his disciples. And in it we learn basically two facets of the kingdom of God that invite listeners of this, or readers of this gospel, you and me, to not wait, but to respond to the offer of the kingdom of God now. And I hope if you have not responded yet, that today's message would encourage you to respond to the kingdom of God now, today. 
Let's take a look then at these uh, two facets uh, that were uh, in our passage this morning. The first facet of the kingdom of God that invites us to respond to it now is, according to Jesus, in verse 20 to 21, the kingdom of God is in your midst, at least when, as he was addressing uh, the Pharisees. Um, <clears throat> reverse, let's read, let's uh, begin with uh, the misconceptions of the kingdom's coming in verse 20 to 21a. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. Verse 20 here gives us the setting. The Pharisees are back once again, and they have another question for Jesus. Uh, they have been perhaps the most as persistent. They have been certainly the most persistent of Jesus' detractors. Although the scribes among them were experts in the law, they were never, they were never any match for Jesus' teaching with authority. Yet still, these Pharisees persisted in following him along, along with the crowds. But they did not follow to learn, but they followed to listen for opportunities to accuse him of sin or error. And their question is a simple one, but it's not a sincere one. They want to know, when is the kingdom of God coming? When is it going to come? When is this kingdom that we're all looking for, this kingdom that you're preaching about, when is it coming? It's very interesting that the Gospel of Luke, or the author Luke, makes the kingdom of God a major theme of this Gospel. Of course, it was the major theme of Jesus' ministry, but each of the Gospel authors emphasizes the, the kingdom theme into different extents. The word kingdom appears here 43 times in this Gospel. And that's significant because it's second only to Matthew. Matthew where it appears 53 times. And we, we understand Matthew because Matthew's writing to a, a Jewish audience who were looking to the king, looking to the kingdom. And so he writes about Jesus the king. But in contrast to Mark where the kingdom only appears 18 times and John where it only appears three times, that Luke, who was writing by the way to Gentiles, would use, emphasize the kingdom 43 times in his gospel is significant. There's an implication here that the kingdom of God is not just the hope of Israel. It is. But it's also the hope of Gentiles. The kingdom is not just for Israel. It's also a kingdom that Gentiles can look forward to as well. Luke has clearly communicated that Jesus' priority in his ministry was preaching the kingdom of God. He called his disciples to proclaim it to pray for it, and to seek it. And he has taught that the kingdom of God is, is for all peoples everywhere who turn to him in faith to be freed from their slavery to sin. So most surprisingly, Jesus on several occasions had taught that the kingdom of God had actually come near. And dis yet despite his teaching, the Pharisees still could not understand it. Since they had heard him teaching about the kingdom, they asked him their question. You keep talking about the kingdom, Jesus. So when is it going to come? When is it going to come? You keep talking about it. I don't see it coming yet. We don't see the signs yet. See, underlying this question is the expectation that they had that if it's near, then as he proclaims, then there are going to be signs that everyone expects to accompany the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus' humble ministry 
did not meet up to their expectations of this coming kingdom. It's like if you went to, a, you were invited to a wedding, and someone's telling the, the wedding's about to start. When you go to the place where the wedding is, you're going to expect to see signs of that there's a wedding there. You're going to expect to see decorations. You're going to expect to see beautiful music. You're going to expect people to be dressed in a certain way. You're going to expect a, a man and a woman to come through the doors, kind of dress really nicely, and the focus will all be on them, and they're going to be smiling and really happy. You expect to see all these people, and everybody else, there's going to be gifts, and all these other things that accompany a wedding. And if you don't see any of these things, you're going to be kind of scratching your head, because those are the signs that you expect of a wedding. Well, in those days, there were certain signs Signs that they, cosmic signs, heavenly signs, that people expected would accompany the coming of the Messiah or uh, the Son of Man. So Jesus, in his answer, corrects their misconception. The kingdom of God, he says, is not coming with signs to be observed. It's not going to come with signs that are preserved. You're looking for signs, but the inauguration of the kingdom, or the introduction of the kingdom, is coming without heavenly signs. It's not going to be visible in the skies, as they were expecting. One's not going to be able to mark its arrival by some observable sign. No one will say, here it is, or there it is. And why does Jesus say this? Jesus then explains the truth of the, king's, the, the kingdom's coming in the latter half of verse 21. Why is there, we're not going to see that, why does he say that the kingdom uh, is not going to be observable with signs, that it, you're not going to say it's here or it's there? Because he explains, verse 21, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. This is a mind-blowing statement for the Israelites in that day. Many ancient interpreters understood this phrase to mean that the, the kingdom of God is inside of you. It's, it's inside of you. But we've come, uh, most modern day commentators come to understand that, that that would not make any sense because it would be odd for Jesus to say this to the Pharisees whom he was addressing, whom he often warned of missing out on the kingdom and telling them that, oh, the kingdom's inside of you. You have it already. Rather, Jesus means that the kingdom of God is in your presence, or it's in, the, it's in your midst, it's before you. The kingdom is in your midst, he, as he's addressing the Pharisees, he said, the kingdom is in your midst because the king of the kingdom is right before you. Jesus Christ is right before you. He is the key to entering the kingdom of God. He is the king of the kingdom. Jesus said essentially the same thing when he taught his disciples to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. When he said to those who were skeptical of him, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because he was there. He was the king. When Jesus came to earth, he came to introduce and invite people into his kingdom. The Pharisees wanted to know when is the kingdom of God coming. But his answer explains that you're asking the wrong question. It's already in your midst. It's at hand. It's in front of you right now in the person of Jesus who is the king. You don't have to look any further for the kingdom because the way into the kingdom is through the king and he is right before you. They only need to rightly respond to Jesus, the king. 
like the Samaritan leper, who recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they needed to enter the kingdom through faith in acknowledgement of Jesus as King. I know that Jesus, or you and I know that Jesus died and rose and ascended back to heaven. And although Jesus is no longer in our midst, as he was in those days, therefore we cannot say that the kingdom of God is, is among us, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, the application of this principle remains the same. If you and I are looking for the kingdom of God, or if we're looking for heaven, we need look no further than Jesus Christ. For in Him and Him alone is entrance into the heaven and entrance into the kingdom of God possible. Don't go looking for signs. Don't go looking for miraculous things, looking for signs in the sky, looking for maybe shadows that fall in a certain way, looking for things, kind of uh, very arbitrary events happening in your life. Look to the Son, and in Him, through repentance of sin and faith, in Him you have entrance into the kingdom of God. If you have and know the Son, you have entrance into the kingdom of God. When Jesus walked on earth, the kingdom of God was in the midst of the Israelites. And they needed to look no further for the kingdom. They didn't need to look for any signs of the coming kingdom. Because the sun, the sign of the sun, was right before them. And all the multitude of signs of his miraculous healings and, and exorcisms and, and other miraculous events were testimony that he was the king. And that if they would put their trust in him and submit to him and follow him, they would enter into the kingdom. There's another facet of the kingdom of God that Jesus teaches, though, that we find in this text. They encourage us to respond to the kingdom now. And that is that the, in verses 22 to 37, which is the bulk of our, of our text, is that the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. Having heard Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, the disciples may have been thinking that since Jesus says that the kingdom is in their midst, that the kingdom had somehow arrived and that the kingdom of God would be established on earth almost right away or soon at any moment. But Jesus in these 16 verses instructs his disciples that there's an aspect of the kingdom that is still coming. That the kingdom in its, in its in fullness is still awaits a future time. And we can break down Jesus' instructions here into four elements. First of all, we look at its timing in verses 22 to 25. And Jesus said, verse 22 to 25, And he said to the disciples, The days will come will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here. Do not go away, and do not run after them. For just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus here encourages his disciples to not be impatient about the coming of God's kingdom. The phrase that we see here, uh, the phrase the days or the day of the Son of Man, refer to the days of that future kingdom spoken of in Daniel chapter 7, 13 to 14. 
where one like a son of man will come out to the ancient of days and will be given everlasting dominion, glory, and a kingdom so that all peoples, not just the people of Israel, but all peoples might serve him. In verse 22, Jesus knows that in the future, his disciples are going to be longing to see that day. They're going to long to see those days when the Son of Man rules on the, on the earth. But they won't be able to see it because it's still coming. Even today, many of you, many of us, you and I, are probably longing for the coming of the kingdom. I know 2020 is, is in, I hope if, if one thing has been accomplished for the glory of God, I hope that 2020 has caused you to long more for, the, for Jesus to return. That His kingdom might come and all that is wrong with this world might be made right. But we long for His coming kingdom. And, in, and for the time being, we will not be able to see it. Because it's still in the future. At some unknown future time, the kingdom is coming. And Jesus further warns His disciples to not follow after anyone who actually does say, look, I know where the Son of Man is. The Son of Man is here. Or the Son of Man is here. Or Christ has come back and He's here or He's there. Or He's reincarnated in this guy or that gal. Don't follow the kind of people like that. Anyone who says that they know where the Son of Man is or the Christ has come back on earth or that they are the Christ, don't follow them. Don't believe them. They're wrong. And he explains why in verse 24. Because his appearance at, in, the sec, in the second coming will be like lightning flashing across the sky. You, know, you don't have to go looking for lightning. Lightning is something that will just be obviously visible to everyone. It's visible for all to see. I looked up some science facts about lightning uh, just this, uh, <laughs> this past week. Did you know that the, a typical lightning flash that we see in the sky measures between 0.6 to 20 miles in length? So sometimes that's about 0.6 miles or sometimes longer, 20 miles in length. But no matter what, if it's 0.6 or even 20 miles long, everyone from far away can see it. In more recent years, scientists have been using satellites to measure the distance of these lightning bolts. And not too many years back, they measured one lightning bolt, one light that spanned 400 miles. It was not seen from 400 miles away, but spanned 400 miles. Can you imagine that? That's over several states. And if it's that large, can you just imagine every, the number, how many people can see it? See, the day of the Son of Man's coming will be visible to all like the lightning. It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to, and by the way, it's, it's, it's going to be, you can hear it too, because it's going to, lightning always comes with thunder. Before the Son of Man comes, and... Uh, and in, in for all to see, there is one thing and one thing only that must happen first, Jesus says. And that's in verse 25. Before the Son of Man comes, he must suffer many things and be rejected. He is speaking here of his betrayal, his arrest, his trials, and his crucifixion. The kingdom will not come, he says, unless the Son of Man first suffers and dies. Because in his death is the single act that opens the door for people, you and me, to enter into his kingdom. Apart from it, no one could enter his kingdom. Because all would deserve God's wrath. 
but because of his death on the cross, because he suffered and died, we who believe in him are spared the judgment that we deserve and are instead allowed to enter into his kingdom. Next, Jesus teaches on its nature, this coming kingdom. Verse 26, 30. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus uses two events from the Old Testament to describe the sudden and quick judgment upon those who ignore and reject God. The first event is the story of Noah when God judged the world by the means of a worldwide flood. The second event is the story of Lot uh, when God judged Sodom and Gomorrah by means of fire and brimstone from heaven. Both events involve people going about their, their daily lives, doing everyday things, eating, drinking, marrying, uh, f- selling, planting, building, etc. They're going about life unaware that judgment was coming. They had lived their lives in sin against God and rebellion against God. And when judgment came, because they had not turned away from their sin to God, they were all destroyed by God's wrath. And Jesus' point is that the same thing is going to happen when the Son of Man comes. People will be going about their lives, living for themselves, following their own ways, with no thought or concern that their lives are in disobedience to God. They will not care that salvation is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. They will not tell you that they don't believe it or they don't need Jesus. But as sure as the days of Noah and the days of Lot, God's judgment will come swiftly and destroy them on the day that the Son of Man comes. We may not like to hear that kind of news, but it's the sober truth. And this serves as a warning to all of us not to be caught up in just living this life. This is not all there is. This is not your best life now. Don't let your job, your family, your interests, your school, your home, your pursuits distract you from being prepared for the Son of Man when He comes. Jesus teaches us the right response in verses 31 to 33. Verse 31 33, we pick up its response, our response to the kingdom of God. Then, oh, pardon me, wrong, wrong chapter. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. See, on that day when the Son of Man comes to bring judgment upon the world, Jesus warns his disciples to flee quickly, to run away and hide. They are merely to flee for safety. Where are they to hide? He doesn't say in this text, but later on in Luke 21, 21, Jesus will instruct his people to flee to the mountains, get out of the cities, to see Run away from basically where the judgment's going to take place the strongest upon 
the gatherings where people where the rebellious against God gathered together, generally the cities. Gen- Jesus then gives two situations as an example to flee. If someone's on top of their house when judgment comes, he says, they shouldn't even go down into their house to grab their goods. They should simply climb down the external ladder and flee. Also, if someone is in the field working, when the judgment comes, they should not turn back and run back to their homes to grab their stuff. They should just keep fleeing and run to the mountains. And then as a warning, Jesus speaks, verse 32. Even as we come to this verse, um, every high school uh, student who attends Sunday school probably knows the shortest verse in the Bible, right? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Well, here perhaps is, is the second shortest. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. If you're not, of course, if you're not familiar with the story, the event is recorded in Genesis 19. When God's angels were about to destroy Sodom, they told Lot to flee and not look back. Take his wife, take his daughters, his family, and just get out of Sodom. And as he and his family, his wife and daughters fled, the Lord then rained on Sodom and Gomorrah fire and brimstone. This is Genesis 19.24. But Lot's wife, as she was fleeing, disobeyed the instruction of the angel and looked back to Sodom, looked back to her home, her possessions, her life. And she was turned into a pillar of salt and died. Her disobedience, her looking back, resulted in her death. When she was right at the moment, at that had the was trying to flee from the judgment to come. So when Jesus says, "Remembers Lot's wife," Jesus is teaching his disciples to not look back at the things of life of this life while fleeing God's judgment. Don't hold on to the things of this world as you turn to flee from judgment in Jesus Christ. Whether it be earthly possessions or relations or earthly accomplishments or demons, we are not to look back to them. We are not to hold on to them. We are to turn our eyes completely upon Jesus, set our faith wholly upon Him to save us from the judgment that is coming. Jesus said something similar in Luke 9, 62. When He said, but Jesus said to him, He said to, uh, to one who wanted to follow, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Flee the judgment that is coming by turning in faith to Jesus without looking back. If you look back, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says. In verse 33, Jesus teaches the principle that if you keep seeking to hold on to the things of this life, you're going to lose your life completely when the judgment comes. But if you give up, if you lose holding on to the things that in this life, you're willing to let them go for Jesus' sake, you will save your life eternally. When you decide to follow Jesus, when you are in danger, and when you escape, 
you may lose things. And even as now, the, the fires that have gone on across our uh, state, people have lost uh, homes and possessions and things. But if they've escaped, if they've been able to make it out with their lives, and though it's tough, they're probably very thankful that they escaped with their life. We who turn to faith in Jesus should be thankful. We should be willing to give up and even, yes, lose all the things of this world in order to gain Jesus. Lastly, Jesus instructs about the coming kingdom of God in regards to its finality in verse 34 to 37. It's finality. Jesus says in verse 34 37, I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. The judgment that accompanies the Son of Man's coming will involve a separation of the righteous from the unrighteous. And Jesus gives several examples here, a a series of examples uh, of two people doing the same thing, going about doing the same thing, but one will be taken and the other will be left. Scholars differ here on whether those who are taken are taken to judgment or taken to salvation. Uh, reasonable arguments can be made for either either view. If you give way to the preceding verses about Noah and Lot, one might choose to interpret it as taken into salvation, as Noah and Lot were taken into salvation. However, if you consider the following verse of verse 37, the question and answer to verse 37 is where this, and then he talks about where there's death, it seems that this idea of taken is a, can be, it would, would, is the idea of being taken to judgment, taken to judgment that leads to death. And I, I take this latter view, personally. But either way, whichever view you take, the point is still the same. That when the Son of Man comes, judgment will inevitably divide the world. Some will be taken to judgment, and others will be left that is preserved to enter into the kingdom of God that will be established at Jesus' coming. So having then heard of some being taken, Jesus' disciples then asked Jesus, where? Where are they going to be taken? And Jesus answers, it's a bit cryptic, but his words seem to be conveying that death awaits them. They're going to be taken to death because vultures gather around dead bodies. So the idea is that these people who are taken are going to be taken to their deaths, both to their physical death and the eternal death in hell. And at that moment, when the Son of Man comes, there is no second chance. There is really, at that time when the Son of Man comes, no moment of decision. There's no like, uh, uh, when Jesus comes, He comes and gives you a choice. Is it what you want to choose? Worship me or not? Because His coming will come unexpectedly, it will come suddenly, and it will come irrevocably. The moment of decision to prepare for the coming of the Son of Man and God's kingdom is now. Don't put it off until tomorrow. Because when He comes, it will be too late. When you die, if you die tonight or if you die tomorrow, it will be too late 
to make a decision. Repent from sin and believe upon Christ for your salvation now. Jesus went to the cross in Jerusalem to die for your sins so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. He died so that you and I now, as we come to see Jesus through the Scriptures, can understand that He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, and that He does offer salvation and deliverance and and entrance into the kingdom of God through faith in Him. So let us do so now. Let's not wait, oh, I'm going to wait right before He comes back. You don't know if you're going to have that chance. Because when it will come suddenly, and if it comes, it will be too late. As we conclude, Jesus has taught us that in Him, the kingdom of God is near, and that through Him, one must enter into the kingdom of God. But He has also taught that the kingdom of God is still in the future, and that one day He will, run, he will return to establish the promised kingdom on earth in Jerusalem, where all the covenant promises that He made to Israel will be fulfilled. But it's a kingdom that will not just be only for the Jews, but it will be for all peoples to serve and worship Him. I want to end just with simply several questions for you to think about. Let's quickly ask them. How do you, question number one, how do you know, how do you know that you have entrance into the kingdom of God? How do you know that? What is your confidence based upon? A kind of related question to that is, are you prepared for the coming of the Son of Man? When the Son of Man comes again, He will come in judgment. Are you prepared to face that day? It will be too late if you don't decide now. Decide now. Turn to Jesus now. Thirdly, what kind of things are tempting you to look back even as you flee the judgment to come? Perhaps you're already a believer. If you're not a believer, you're thinking about it. So there are things in our lives that tempt us always to look back. Things of this world that we hold on to dearly. As, we, as, we want to, as those who want to follow Jesus, let us always be mindful of the things that would tempt us to look back. To think rightly about them. Even the things that are good, like our family, uh, our, our, our friends. Those things that we cherish, that we that we we will miss certainly, but in comparison to the to Jesus Christ, we love Jesus Christ more. And lastly, I'll ask one more question. This is a message about responding to the kingdom of God now. And if you have already responded to the kingdom of God, then I ask you, whom in your life do you need to share this message with? Who who needs to hear that the kingdom of God can be responded to now? Who needs to hear that the kingdom of God is coming and with its judgment and it's going to come suddenly and irrevocably and it's going to be too late then. They need to respond now. Prayerfully consider that and if you have the opportunity uh, that God might open the door for you to share with them. For all of us who have blazed our faith in Jesus Christ, the King whose entrance in the kingdom of God is, is through. Let us keep looking expectantly, hopefully, for the coming kingdom. Let that 
encourage us to be faithful in being his followers, serving him, inviting others to enter the kingdom, just as Jesus did as he walked upon the earth. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the truths of your word. Thank you for the hope of the coming kingdom of Christ. Thank you for sending your king to introduce to us the way into the kingdom. And God, we're thankful for his necessary suffering, rejection, and death on the cross. We pray that all who are joining us in our worship service this morning would have confidence in their heart about where they stand in regards to your kingdom. That they would have confidence of knowing that they have the hope of being in part of that kingdom because they have responded rightly to the king. That they have repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus who died and rose again on our behalf. And Lord, help us guard from being like Lot's wife even as we are prepared to in fleeing from this, the, uh, this world that is going to be destroyed, help us to not look back. Help us to be mindful of the things that would tempt us to look back, to hold us back from following after and, focus, and running after and being focused upon Jesus. Help us to think rightly about them before you, to put them in the proper perspective and priority. And God, we pray that you would help us to uh, be equipped with this message. Perhaps the recent weather changes have caused some to even think that you are returning soon. And may those discussions be open doors for us to tell them that they may be looking for signs, but they need to look no further for the sun as revealed in your word. We pray that you would open doors for us to be bold in our witness, to tell others about Jesus. And God, we pray that you would continue to build your church in these uncertain days. Father, thank you that you are in control of all things, in control of this world, that you work all things for good to those who love you. We, our trust is in you and in these strange days that you are bringing about the inevitable fulfillment of the coming of the kingdom of the Son of Man. O Lord, come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.